continue our look through the New Testament. Uh, and this week we are looking at 1 Timothy. This was a, a letter written from Paul to Timothy, uh, who was a kind of a young budding pastor. We talked about being a pastor last week and uh, how we need to encourage and cultivate that. And, uh, and so this was Paul kind of continually pouring into Timothy and mentoring him and teaching him. Uh, and so today we're going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 19. So I invite you to hear these words. Here's what Paul writes. Of course, there is great gain and godliness combined with contentment, for we brought nothing into the world so that we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and in their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. But as for you, man of God, shun all of this. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and for which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep the commandment without spot or blame until the manifestation of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will bring about at the right time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords. It is he alone who has immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for those who in the present age are rich, command them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but rather on God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, generous and ready to share thus storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of the life that really is life. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, we gather this morning on this uh, autumn day and we give you praise. We know that this is a day of much excitement, Lord, especially for our children, our covenant children. And we are reminded that they will receive much today freely, Lord. And we pray even in that, that they, that we will be reminded of how you have given to us so freely. And we give you praise for your grace and for the abundance with which you have provided for us. Open up our ears and our eyes to you. And I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen and amen. Well, if you uh, heard the message last week, you know that I mentioned there how uh, difficult it is for pastors to bring up uh, money uh, from behind the pulpit and not at least have some people say, ah, I knew it. All they cared about was our money. So today I'm going to talk about money. Let's just stare. I knew it. 
don't get up and leave. It gets super awkward for all of us, Claude. So, you know, it's funny because oftentimes when it comes to money and the church or money and scripture, uh, we could easily begin to think, probably because of the way that we talk about it, that money must just be inherently evil and that clearly, you know, God doesn't like money. And yet, when you, you know, really look through scripture, it's clear that this is not really the case. I mean, we see people in scripture. Think about the Old Testament. You have those like Abraham and David and Solomon who the Lord has clearly, I mean, it's very explicit, has blessed them with abundance, with, you know, with, with fine houses and with, you know, with cattle. I mean, all of these things, right? And, and it's not said disparagingly. These are free gifts. Even in the New Testament, uh, we see it. And people like uh, Joseph of Arimathea who had enough money um, um, to own land, right? To have the tomb in which... Uh, in which Jesus was laid after his crucifixion. And then, of course, uh, you, have, um, you have Priscilla who has this, or Lydia, I should say, who has this money who then gives to, um, who gives to Paul in order to help him to be able to survive. And so you have these kind of, these great examples of where the Lord has blessed people with possessions, with things. And uh, even when you look through scripture, like Ecclesiastes, I, I like this one. This is from the fifth chapter of Ecclesiastes. It says this, it says, this is what I've seen to be good. It is fitting to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun, the few days of the life God gives us. For this is our lot. Likewise, all to whom God gives wealth and possessions and whom he enables to enjoy them and to accept their lot and find enjoyment in their toil. This is the gift of God. And so we see here in, in this Ecclesiastes this sense that God has provided you with something and we are called to enjoy it and to acknowledge the gift that it is from the Almighty. And even in our passage today, if you're paying attention there, when Paul's talking to Timothy, he, he doesn't say to him, if there are those in the present age, those who are a part of this church who are rich, but he says, as for those who in this present age are rich, there is an assumption that within the churches, there will be those who have wealth. And then he goes on almost to echo that Ecclesiastes passage when he says that it is God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. There seems to be this permission that God gives to enjoy the money that we have as a blessing from the Almighty. Now, I think that's important for us to kind of acknowledge that even though so often, uh, perhaps we as pastors may give you the sense that if you have any money, that clearly that's not the right thing to do. I think we need to acknowledge this reality that God provides us with wealth, with possessions, and we are called to be thankful. And I, I'm afraid that if we don't ever see it like that, what happens is that we either just act like we don't have wealth or we dichotomize uh, our physical possessions from our spiritual life, which has never been what the Christian faith has been about, or we just feel guilty uh, for the money that we have or the ways in which we may spend it on ourselves. And so we just kind of have this walk around with this shame rather than just being able to actually just celebrate what the Lord has done in our lives. Uh, two or three years ago, I kind of talked about this a little bit, about what we oftentimes, what I hear, and part of this is just our Midwesternness, but uh, whenever people talk about 
nice things that they've had or that they've done. Maybe you've heard this. Maybe you've done this. You know, they, you go off on some really nice vacation, you know, you, you, you go to Fiji and, oh, it was incredible. And you had this big hut that was over the water and that's where you slept. You drank uh, coconut milk. I don't know. You do whatever you do on those trips and you hear people and they'll begin talking about that and you'll be like, wow. And then they'll end be like, well, I mean, we got it off a of Groupon. It was a great deal. Right? Or they're like, well, you know, it's only because my spouse, you know, gets points. You know, it cost us 8467332000 points, but it was great. Otherwise, we never would have done it. Or, or, or you go to their house, right? They invite you to their house and you're there and you're kind of eating and you're like, oh, this is great. And they're like, oh, well, you know, this was a real fixture upper when we got it. We could never have afforded this neighborhood if we hadn't every weekend just worked to try to, you know, make it up to snuff a little bit. And you, you kind of hear this, this anxiety. Now I get some of it, they do it more with me as a pastor, but, but certainly I think we can kind of hear it just in everyday conversation, right? We begin to caveat everything. And it feels to me that when we do that, I have this sneaking suspicion that God is like, well, can you just be thankful? It reminded me of, of, of Christmas, this past Christmas, actually on, on Christmas Eve, um, because that's often when we celebrate Christmas within the deck household. We got our, our, our kids, uh, this, uh, this um, what was it? Switch, this Nintendo Switch, right? And so it's this video game console. Now, I believe, in, I believe in a God even more strongly after that because the same day we got that, like two hours later, Megan, my wife, got diagnosed with COVID, which meant we were going to be in the house for two weeks. Thank God for the timing of that video game. Am I right? <laughs> but here's what I was thinking. If we gave them that, and then every time one of their friends came over, and their friends were like, wow, this is incredible. This is amazing. We love these games. This is so much fun. And the girls were like, well, you know, we only have like one or two games. It's not that great. <laughs> or they're like, well, you know, I mean, you know, um, uh, it's a refurbished model. Our, our parents didn't pay that much. It was real cheap. My wife and I would be like, what are you talking about? Can you just be happy why are you having to like explain it all? Can't you just be like, I know, isn't this wonderful? Our parents are incredible. <laughs> but if they just caveated everything, it would be like, well, gee whiz. I mean, why we gave you this and you don't even really appreciate it? How often do we do that with, with, what, with what the Lord has provided for us? And we, 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 we're like, oh, you know, I mean, it's not that great. It's fine, but there's better. I don't know. No, what if we just said, hallelujah. I cannot believe the way that the Lord has provided for us. What if we just celebrated that reality and gave God praise for the remarkable gift as Ecclesiastes and as 1 Timothy says that it is. What if we just took a moment to just sit there and say, I cannot believe how the Lord has provided for us. So one of the things that I want us to begin with this morning is just by remembering that, just by celebrating. No caveats, no but you knows, just celebrating the way that the Lord has provided. So if that is true, and I believe it is because we see it in Scripture. Why is it then that there is also a lot of Scripture that warns us about money 
and possessions. And I mean, there are some stark images that we see. I, my, one of my favorites is, is from James. Uh, James, when he, he, he talks about uh, those, who have, uh, those who lived in luxury and self-indulgence, they are fattening themselves up for the day of slaughter. Well, isn't that nice, James? Thanks for sharing that with us. Jesus, you know this one, of course. Jesus says it's harder for the camel to go through eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to make it to heaven. Or even in our passage today, first, in 1 Timothy, Paul says that many of those who have kind of gone after riches have impaled themselves. These are all these really kind of remarkable uh, uh, images that are almost startling, really. So how do we... How do we how do we rectify this? How do we kind of make sense of this? It's, it's good. This wealth is good. It's a blessing. We should be thankful. But also this language of making sure that we're not being fattened up just to go to slaughter. Well, one of the things that Scripture understands, we like polarity. Scripture doesn't necessarily like polarities. What Scripture says is, no, those things are good and right and are blessings. However, money and the love of money, more specifically, of course, because that's what it's saying here, it has this remarkable way of subtly working its way into our hearts and our minds and becoming what God is supposed to be for us. Money, it says, the root, uh, uh, the, the love of money has this very incredible way of, being, uh, of deceiving us and just kind of slowly taking over and we are not even aware of it. First uh, Timothy, what it says is this. It says that those who want to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by their senseless or foolish and harmful desires. This word for trap comes to us, uh, scholars say, from a, from a noose that was oftentimes used to catch birds, right? It's kind of hard for me to imagine that, but they would catch birds, but of course they would hide them so that they weren't easily seen so that the bird would just kind of go in and before the bird could do anything about it, all of a sudden it was up to its neck and it was, it was hung. Or the word for foolish, we are told. Typically, when you think about a fool in Scripture, what it means is those, it doesn't mean those who are dumb. It means those who more easily deceive themselves than most folks. They are easily self-deceived. In other words, what we're saying here about the love of money, what happens is that with great ease, it begins to work its way in, and we don't even realize just how much we have become trapped by it. And so we see these startling images, right, about a, a fattened calf or, the, or a camel going through an eye of a needle or, or, or impaling ourselves as a way of kind of waking us up. Wait, wait, we need to pay attention to this wealth for which we are to give thanks. So, so how are we deceived? How, how is it that money actually deceives us? Well, one of the things that happens, one of the easy ways that we are deceived by money is by the fact that we simply don't think we have it. We think we're not actually wealthy or that we are not rich. That's really easy to have occur in a place like this, in our, in, in our communities, let's be honest. Because a part of what happens is that, that usually you don't gauge how wealthy you are by how much money you have compared, uh, excuse me, how much money you have. You, you, you gauge it by how much money you feel like you have compared to others. And of course, usually when you compare it to others, you compare it with those who have more money than what you have. Right? So, so as I think about um, in our own house, you know, where we live there at Ninth and Pine, uh, we have this house. It's a fine house. It's a good house. We love our house. 
But if you were to go right across the street from us on ninth and you go down about three houses, there are about four houses right there in a row that are massive. I mean, they are massive. And so, you know, and I think even our kids get this a little bit when we go, you know, well, look at those houses. They're huge. You know who live in those houses? Rich people. <laughs> right? Not us. I'm Jerry. We're the decks. But those are wealthy people. However, as Scott and Stan point out in their video this past week, you know, 30% of the wealth in the world is, lies here in America. And here's the thing. The average American household is $63,000. Now, I did a little bit of research. In Carmel, the average household income is $112,000. In Zionsville, it's $133,000. But let's just say that your household income is $63,000. If it is $63,000, in comparison to the world, you are in the top 0.17%. You are in the top 17th hundredth of a percent. But if I were to ask most of you, do you feel rich? You would probably say no. But it's actually just not true. Money has this ability to deceive us, not only because we don't think we actually have it, but because it allows us to become haughty. This is why actually Paul says to Timothy, hey, command those who are wealthy to not be haughty. How, how, how do we become arrogant because of money? There's probably lots of ways. Tim Keller uh, points out, and I really like this. He says, what oftentimes happens is when you're really good in a particular area, when, you, when you're really good at that, let's say you have, you're really good at your career, so you've got money. What happens is you kind of just slowly begin to believe, hey, if I was really good at this, I'm probably really good at just about everything. I'm probably really good at, uh, I don't know, at, at, at finances. I'm probably really good in, in relationships. I'm probably uh, really good with my own faith. I'm probably really good at being self-aware. I don't get deceived like other people do. I'm, I'm probably really good, which means the, the, the better you think you are in all these areas, the less teachable you are, the more arrogant you become. Now, you may be saying, oh, that's not really true. How is that possible? I'll show you how it's possible. When you go home later on today and you turn on the Colts game, I, I dare you to try to watch the whole game and not have at least one commercial where there is somebody, a professional football player or a professional basketball player, who stands up and says, you should buy this car insurance. Now, just because you can hit a three-pointer or throw a touchdown pass, why would that ever mean that you are an expert on car insurance? Why would we ever think that? But advertisers, you know what they are? They are brilliant. They don't just do these things for fun. They know that for some reason, the way our brain works, we think it's actually true. If you're really good at hitting that, that three-pointer, you must know all about liability and all those sorts of things. And so what happens is we begin to think, hey, we're really good with this. Hey, we would not be deceived like other people. We, 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 we kind of got this world by the tail. We understand things. And so we deceive ourselves. Of course, another way that we easily deceive ourselves is we keep thinking that if we had enough, then we wouldn't be anxious. Then we would have less fear. We would feel more secure. If we had enough money, then we would be more at peace. And to be sure... If you truly are at the poverty level to be able to have enough money to have food and shelter, which is what 1 Timothy says is what we need, that does make a difference. But for the vast majority of us, that's not the case. 
I love uh, that famous quip from John D. Rockefeller. You probably have heard it where someone asked him, you know, how much money does it take to make someone happy? And he said, one more dollar. Of course, the problem with that is that you never get that more dollar because by the time you've gotten that one more dollar, you want one more dollar. Now, I've pastored three different churches that were quite a, quite, quite a bit different from one another. One in a suburb of Chicago, a lot of blue collar and white collar. One in western Pennsylvania, a small town of 8,000 people. Uh, most folks were blue collar jobs. And then, of course, this church for, uh, for nearly eight years. And, and what I know is this, having kind of sat down with many of them, whether you make $50,000 a year or $500,000 a year, what you begin to feel is you feel that all of them wrestle with the anxiety about marriage, about their children, uh, about security, about their jobs, no matter what you make, for some reason, if that's what you think is going to bring you peace, it actually brings you more anxiety. In fact, some would say it brings you even more anxiety for one reason. The more you have, the more you have to lose. And one of the things that I've discovered in this community, one of the hard things is that it's also a lot easier to hide it for a lot longer behind a nice car, behind a nice house, behind a nice vacation, behind some nice pictures on Facebook or Instagram, whatever it may be. And it's almost until it's too late that you begin to realize how much you have been trusting in this money to bring you all the things that God is supposed to bring you. Peace and security and love and grace. So, Yes, God has given us everything that we have and we need to simply be thankful and to enjoy those things. So how do we make sure that we don't then become deceived? Well, one of the things I think that's really clear in scripture is that we have to be active. We can never be passive when it comes to wealth. Wealth can be neutral, money can be good or bad, but it can never be looked at by those of us who follow Jesus in a passive way. This is, you know, it's a little bit like, you know, I'll go to the doctor every year or so. And, 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 and most times, and honestly, this is the case, the doctor will say, well, you know, you could stand to lose a few pounds. Don't you just want to say, well, you could stand to lose a few pounds, right? You want to do something because it's just, it's just hurtful. Um, But what's funny is whenever I hear that, right, I'm always like, what are you talking about? I'm eating fine, right? I, I, I'm like, I'm, I'm, just, I'm, no, I'm really doing pretty well, right? I mean, I eat healthy. You know, I don't eat too much. So then I'm like, oh, I'm going to pay attention. All right, fine. I'll pay attention to it for a week. And, and I'll get through like one day and I'll be like, how did, how did I get up to 8,000 calories? I thought I was doing right. And, and, and I was just being passive about it. I thought, well, it feels right. It feels like I'm okay. Well, no, you're not, Deck. You got to do some more stuff here. You got to eat less, eat healthier. And I think we do the same thing oftentimes with wealth, but we can't. This is why scripture kind of keeps coming at us. Don't be plunged into ruin and destruction. Don't impale yourself. The love of money is the root of all evil. It's why Paul says to Timothy, he doesn't say, hey, you should suggest to those who are wealthy. He says, command the wealthy, right? We do this not because God can't get enough money, but scripture says this because it knows just how subtle the love of money is. So what are those practices that we can engage in to help make sure that we can be over here where we are just thankful for God's blessings without being deceived? First thing it seems to me that we can do is we can just simply admit it. 
We are wealthy. The vast majority of us here, and if you want to accept yourself, that's fine. I don't know your financial position right now, but I am still going to suggest that the vast majority of us here are wealthy and we can waste all the time we want by saying, well, we're not as rich as that person or as, or as that person. We can waste all that time and energy, but at the end of the day, it's exactly what it is. It is a waste. So how about we just say we are, we have been blessed by the Almighty. And for that, we want to give God Praise. We begin there with that honesty. I think the second thing we can do is that if we want to make sure that money is not something we worship, then one of the great ways we do that is making sure that we are continually worshiping who we are supposed to, which is God. Did you notice, maybe you probably even got lost when I was reading this scripture passage. It's a very weird passage because it begins by talking about, you know, the danger of those who are seeking after money. And then it has this really super weird middle part where it just is, it's called a doxological part of the passage. It's this worshipful part of the passage. It, it describes how God is the King of King and the Lord of Lords. And then after that part, then it goes, oh yeah. And uh, again, here to Timothy, um, 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 warn those who are rich, command them not to be haughty. It's very strange. It's almost like Paul was kind of like, you know, he was writing the first part about money. Then he starts like, okay, I got to sign off here. So he starts worshiping God. He even puts an amen in there. And then it's like, he's like, oh, I meant to say something else about the wealthy. All right. So I'm going to add that here again, right? There was no whiteout at that point. He couldn't go back. And so he just kind of, he kind of writes that down there. But Scott Hosey says, well, maybe, but maybe, maybe what Paul is trying to remind us of is this, that that if you want to make sure that you are not being bowled over by, by the love of money, then we need to make sure we are worshiping God. We need to make sure not just weekly even, but daily that we are continually asking, are we worshiping God today? It reminded me a little bit of, of, of fertilizer for the grass. Now you guys know, most of you, I'm not very good with grass. Every once in a while though, I, I try to fertilize something. And so, so uh, but what I noticed on the bags is that it says it's going to kill weeds, but not, not just by actually directly killing the weeds, but by cultivating and making sure the grass grows strong enough. Because if the grass can grow strong enough and thick enough, it will choke the weeds to death. And I love that image for the sense of if we worship God and if we are continually worshiping God and we are continually saying, God, you are the one who brings us peace. You are the one who brings us our security. You are the one who battles fear. It will begin to choke out all these other gods, all these other weeds who will try to tell us, no, 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 this is where you find peace. This is where you find grace. This is where you find security. And so we have to be worshipful. Now, there's other things, of course, that we can do. In fact, I could have, and I wanted to spend time uh, today doing it uh, because it's in Scripture. I couldn't do it because I'm running out of time. But things like uh, generosity, right? If you want to know, you know, how, how attached are you to money, just begin to grow in your generosity and you will begin to feel it. Uh, contentment, that's a really good one. We'll probably come back to that. We've talked about it before, but being content in a world that's constantly trying to make us uh, discontented. But what I wanted to close with today are the last two verses and most especially the last line of our passage. Let me just read to you quickly verses 18 and 19. Here's what it says. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, generous and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of the life that is really life. And I want to suggest to you that that last line 
is the lens through which we should always begin when it comes to looking at the wealth that we have. Is what we are doing, is this the life that is really life? As I was thinking about that, I was uh, reminded of a book I read several uh, months ago now, and it had this quote uh, by this, uh, it must be a French author, I'm not going to be very good at it, Antoine de Saint-Exupéry, something like that. Anyways, here's what he says. If you want to build a ship, don't drum up people to collect wood. Don't assign them task and work, but rather teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. If you want to start having ships be built, what he's saying is don't try to just find, okay, hey, look, you work with the wood and uh, you find something for a sale and, and you do this and I'm going to need you there Monday through Friday. That that's not really that. You'll have to do that eventually. That, that stuff will happen. But begin with this beauty. Begin with this vision. Begin with what you are wanting, which is the, the joy of the adventure of going and finding and discovering the immensity of the sea. See, it seems to me that perhaps the place where we begin when it comes to our own kind of uh, our faith and our wealth is it's not like, well, how much do I have to give until I don't feel guilty anymore? How much do I have to give until I know that I'm not being deceived? Just give me that number. Let's just kind of do that because I'm, I don't want to have to feel bad. I want to be able to enjoy it. Just tell me what I want to have to do. And I think that instead our operating question should be, what do we have to do? How are we investing our time, our energy, and our money in life that is really life? Because I think there's probably a, quite a few of us who, myself included, who at times is spending life that is, is investing in life that is just subpar life. Life that is kind of sort of life. Life that is life light, but not life that is really life. Six weeks ago or so, I was at a board meeting for this Christian mission organization on which I sit and... Um, and they were just giving us reports about things that they were doing. So we had one guy there uh, who really coordinates a lot of the work that we do in Africa. So he was there kind of giving his report. But he was describing one of the things that they're doing, uh, one of the things that we're doing, which is to, um, which is to build these uh, uh, boarding schools for girls, for young girls. Um, and they're boarding schools for, uh, and the reason why they have them is for the young girls who are um, oftentimes forced into marriages for the young girls that are, uh, that are being uh, mutilated in some way, for the young girls that are being abused. I mean, all of these kind of horrible things, and I'm not going to go into great detail on that, and, and, and just like talking about that, and then was talking about how these places are like little oases, and, 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 and these schools are, are letting them know that they are loved and that they are valued. It's keeping them safe and protected, and, 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 and as you know, I've got four little girls who are base, basically are the same age as them, and I was just thinking to myself, oh my goodness, but when as he continued to talk, I mean, I, it was all I could do, actually. I almost did this. I almost just stood up and began to clap because I thought, that's it. And I didn't have the language. I wasn't using this verse at that point. But if I could have now, I would have gone back and said, that is life. That is really life. I mean, it was incredible to think about the work that was being done there, this incredible kingdom work. But now here's the other thing that happened. As I began to hear about that, almost subconsciously, I began to kind of feel myself adjusting internally and budget-wise, meaning asking questions. Literally, I was doing this of saying, what do we need to change with how we are spending our money? And even, and I haven't told them this, money that we were thinking about giving to the girls for something. What if, what if instead of that, what if I invited them to participate 
in this thing that is life, that is really life. He didn't stand up there and be like, oh, you guys have so much money. You haven't given enough. You're not generous enough. You're being deceived. I can't believe you. No, no, no. He began to describe the sea. He began to describe the kingdom of God. And I thought, that's what I want to be a part of. I got nervous for a second there. That's what I want to be a part of. And so here's what I want to do. I want to invite you all into that conversation. Have it with yourself if you're single or have it with a friend. Have it with a spouse. Have it with your children. To ask the question, maybe at the end of this year, before you move into the new year, whatever it might be, to begin to look at your calendar and look at your budget and to start with this question. What are we doing? How are we investing not just in life, but in life that is really life? How are we investing in life that is really life, life that is introducing people to the love of Jesus Christ, life that is cultivating relationships, life that is bringing peace where there has been war, life that is really life, life that's saying, hey, we know you've been judged, but why don't you, why don't you experience this grace of Jesus Christ, life that is giving food to the hungry, life that is really life, that's giving shelter to the homeless. That is life that is really life. My encouragement is for you to go home and not just go home and think, oh, okay, we should probably give more. No, no, no. Begin to ask, what are those things that are life, that are really life, so that at the end of the year and at the end of my life, I can look back and see the lives that have been changed because I begin to see that the money that God has given to me, this incredible gift, allows me the opportunity to change lives for God's kingdom. Those of us who are gathered here today have been given this remarkable opportunity to engage in life that is really life. May it be so. Amen? God, you have blessed us. Whether we are aware of it, whether we give you credit or not, so I pray, Lord, that you would help us to, first of all, just simply be a people of gratitude for the ways in which you have blessed us so significantly. My Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to also see that as this incredible opportunity to engage in life that is really life. Open up our eyes to those opportunities that we might grow in our love for you and our love for others and that your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. Amen and amen.